Good morning. Good morning. Am I working? I'm working. Good. Uh, as Al said, if you've not met me before, my name is Jack, and uh, I'm one of... So I can't fit it in my pocket. Um, I am one of the King's Church youth group leaders. Uh, I help... Ooh, there's a few of us there. I help run our Friday night infusion youth group, and we have... There's, that was pathetic. Um, <laughs> But we have great fun. We get anything from sort of 20 to about 40 kids here on a Friday night between the ages of 10 and 13. And we have great fun. I mean, it really kicked off on Friday because we even had the police turn up. Um, That's not because any of the kids had uh, done anything illegal and they were getting arrested. It wasn't because they'd driven me so insane that I needed to take out my anger. It wasn't anything like that. It's We've been spending some time going through with them um, a doing the Ten Commandments. We do like a little fusion zone thing, uh, we call it anyway, where it's like uh, we get to explain something of the Bible and about who Jesus is and God. And we've been going through the Ten Commandments and we invited the police to come along to sort of give their side of the things on on what not stealing is about. Uh, But we do all kinds of other fun activities. The games, you kind of have to see them to believe them. Um, And we've got awesome things planned up in the future over the summer. We're going to kick that off with a pool party where we hire out King's Leisure Centre and we're going to have all the inflatables. And it's fantastic. I love being a youth leader. Um, And everyone's invited to the pool party, but you have to be between the ages of 10 and 13. So... I don't think many people here make that grade, unfortunately. Um, but it's a good job because I'm not here to just plug in Fusion and say how great it is. But I am here this morning to continue our series where we're looking at being stronger in prayer. And um, I know the, the title of the series is so subtle, so I just want to spell it out to us again. The whole point of this series is that we are to become a church which is stronger in prayer. A church where we are better as together as a church and also individually at praying. That's the point of this. And this morning, I, I really want us to think about our prayers. Think about what you say, how you say it, when you say it. Think, really think about your prayers. Because for many of us, I'm convinced that many of us don't pray the way that we do because we think it's the best way of praying. This is the single best way of praying. Um, I know it's, it's true for me and it's probably true for you, but we pray the way we do because we copy how other people have prayed around us. When you first become a believer in Jesus, you don't, you don't suddenly start praying the way you do, but you pray by copying those who maybe led you to Christ and for first people you know who are Christians, people in the church around you. And I know that this is true because if you went to a church where they use sort of an old archaic language of the Bible, maybe they use uh, something like the old King James Version, they probably pray with lots of these, thous and other things like that. Whereas if you're part of this church, um, you, you probably don't pray like that. In fact, I can almost guarantee I do it all the time. You start your prayers with, Father, I just want to thank you. Or, Father, I, I just want to ask and I don't know where I just want to has come from, but it seems to appear. Even, even this morning, I had two fantastic friends of mine come and lay hands and pray for me. And they started their prayers with, Father, I just thank you. And, and I don't know where this has come from. It's not come from the Bible. It's come from hearing other people around us. The only people I, I, re, I consciously recognize that don't really start their prayers with, Father, I just want to, are, are, are people 
from my old church. Uh, before I moved to Lewis, uh, I was part of a fantastic uh, Anglican church um, where I came from, and they, they're fantastic men and women of God. And they all start their prayers like this. Dear Heavenly Father, we just ask that. And, and, for, and I, don't know, I don't know what it is. I, I still put the just in there. I can't stop. I just can't stop. I have to really fight it. But um, that, I don't... It's a fantastic prayer. It's a brilliant prayer that the, the Anglican people have. But they didn't really necessarily learn that from the Bible. I mean, the, the, the Lord's Prayer sort of starts something like that. But, but they didn't learn the, the long dramatic pause and the intake of breath and the nod of the head and the hands behind the back. They didn't learn that. They learned that by seeing other people around them. Now, I'm not saying that this morning to sort of make you self-conscious. Am I a person who puts my hand behind my back and, and does the pause and the wait? And, or am I a person who always says the word just? I'm not saying it to make you self-conscious of that. But I'm, I'm trying to make you aware that the way we pray is often by copying other people. And I want us to know that because what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look and we're going to listen in to a guy prayer, a guy called Paul, who's praying for a church, and we're going to use that, and we're going to listen to what he's saying so that we can learn and inform and pray like him. So I've titled this morning, Paul's Persistent Prayer, Paul's Persistent Prayer, and we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1. If you've got a Bible and you'd like to turn there, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 1, and it would be wrong of me to be preaching on prayer and not pray. So while you turn there, I'm just going to pray. Father, I thank you that <laughs> I thank you that we can come into your presence, that we can meet with you. And I ask that this morning you would speak to each and every one of us here. That this wouldn't just be an academic exercise as we look at your word, but that you would speak to us that your spirit would prompt us, nudge us, and, and, and lead us this morning. If you'd, if you'd like to just take this moment to ask God to speak to you personally. And then if you would also ask, ask God that he would use me. I've got a lot to say and a lot rattling around in my brain, and I, I don't want to just waffle. I want, I want to speak what God wants to say. Father, use this time as you will. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ephesians, uh, what we're looking at this morning, is, is a letter written by this guy called Paul, who was one of the early church Christian leaders. He was one of the earliest guys who was starting churches. And um, he started this church in Ephesus. He went away, and then he's written this letter to them. And this place, Ephesus, is in a pla- If you were to look on a map today, it's sort of in, in western Turkey. And uh, In Ephesians chapter 1, we get to listen in to Paul's persistent prayer for them. And we're going to look at four questions which I think Paul's prayer answers for us. And we're going to use that to help us so that we can pray like Paul. So let's start by looking at Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. Where Paul says, For this reason... Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. 
Paul says to the Ephesians, right at the start, he says, I, ever since I've heard that you guys really love Jesus and you love one another, basically ever since I've heard you became Christians and you're living it out, I have been so excited, I've been joyful, and I have not stopped praying for you. Point one is Paul prayed. And our first question is, when do you pray? Paul was a man of prayer. He prayed a lot. And just, just take a moment and think about this. Okay? Let's ask the question, how busy do you think Paul was? What, what, what's, what's this guy like? I mean, is he pushed for time? Has he got a lot going on? What's he up to? How much is on his plate? Has he got a long to-do list? Yeah, it's massive. I mean, this guy is busy. I mean, he's going around, he's getting beaten, he's getting left for dead, he's getting stranded at sea after a couple of shipwrecks, he's, he's uh, going and he's dodging getting robbed and bandits and he's trying to avoid it, but he gets thrown in prison, he gets slashings from the Roman government, he's got a part-time job where he makes some tents, uh, and he's writing the Bible. He's a busy guy. He's got a lot going on. Let alone, I haven't even talked about, he's, he's travelling around the world trying to start churches. He is really busy. And yet, Paul still makes time to pray for people. He still takes time to pray for people. Many of which that he may not even have met. He starts his prayer by saying, ever since I heard about your faith. I mean, he started this church, but this is some years later. And like all churches, like our churches, there, there are people who come, people who go, and the church grows over time. And Paul says, I've heard about you, and it's exciting, and I'm praying for you. And if anyone could have had an excuse not to pray for other people, I think it would be Paul. Loads of uh, commentaries that I read, they all say that they reckon that Paul wrote this to these guys uh, from prison. Okay, He was in prison in Rome. So Paul's in prison, and I think that's a pretty good excuse not to pray for someone else. Because I would look around and go, I'm in a pretty bad situation here. I'm kind of more worried about the guy in the cell next to me looking in going, oh, you look pretty. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, what, what? If the, that's a good excuse not to pray for other people. You're kind of worried about yourself and what's going on here. But Paul doesn't make excuses. Instead, he takes time out and he prays. The first thing we learn from Paul is do you make time for prayer? If Paul can do it among all the busy things that he's got going on in his life and everything that's happening around him, then that should encourage us and give us hope that we too can take time out to pray and pray for other people. A guy called Don Carson in his book, uh, the title of which has completely escaped me for some reason, Al lent it to me, Um, but in his book um, he says this, much praying is not done because we do not plan to pray. And he goes on to say, we will not grow in prayer unless we plan to pray. So let me ask you, when do you pray? When do you pray? Do you have a set time you do it each day? Do you have a plan to pray? And are you putting that plan into action? Paul was a man of prayer. And I know this can sound like, I don't want this to be like a, a, 
I'm telling you, you must pray. You've got to pray. I don't expect you to suddenly block out hours and hours and hours from each day where you're going to put it aside and you're going to pray for God. Although that would be great, but I think often it's a bit unrealistic. But do you have where you can put 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there, a 20-minute slot where you can put it aside where it's just you and God and you can pray? Another thing is how encouraging do you think it would have been if you were uh, in the church in Ephesus and you, you received this letter from Paul where he says, hey guys, I love you and I'm praying for you. I love you and I'm praying for you. That's so encouraging. And, and an aspect of prayer, which leads me to our second question, is, is who are you praying for? Who are you praying for? Because Christians, we not only get to pray, but we get to pray for each other. Now, the Bible does tell us to pray for all sorts of things. It, it tells us to, to pray for our enemies, to pray uh, for those who are in need, pray for those who are being persecuted, pray for those who are suffering, and pray for those who are sick. It gives us a whole host of different things that we can pray for. But Paul's persistent prayer for the church in Ephesus shows us that we need to pray for other Christians as well. And there'll be many people in this room, within these four walls, sat in this seat, that you're sat there, and you're going, I need prayer. I need prayer. I want to have others around me who are going to pray. And later this morning, we will make time, and we are going to pray for each other, and we're going to listen for God, and we're going to see what he has to say, and we're going to pray and prophesy for one another. Because Paul says, I'm praying for the church and I'm praying for the people in the church. It is good to pray for God's people. And I'd like to just suggest, if you're, if you're part of the church here in, in Kings, you, you've been coming along for some time, I would like to put it to you that please be in the habit of praying for the church. Not, not just like an organisation, but actually praying for individuals praying for people in the church. Because Paul says that to the Ephesians. He says, I love you and I'm praying for you. And I have to say, some of the most encouraging times that I've had of being part of this church are when people have come up to me and they've gone, Jack, I'm praying for you. And I'm just thinking, wow, I didn't even know you hardly talked to me. And you've come up to me and you go, I'm praying for you. What can I pray for you for? And it just makes you feel so loved and so welcomed. When we're praying for each other. So I'm not saying pray to each other because you have to, because you need to, because that's what Christians do. But pray to each other because it's such a demonstration of love. Such a demonstration of, and it's done out of joy and love for other people and their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Like Paul does here with the Ephesians. So my third question this morning then is, if we're praying for each other, then what should we pray for? What should we pray for? And Paul lists one thing specifically in verse 17. So in verse 17, Paul says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And when you look at Paul's prayers 
in your Bible. Not, not just here, but also in Philippians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, and Ephesians chapter 3. It is really striking. It's really quite amazing that when Paul prays, when he prays for his friends, his churches, people he knows, he doesn't seem to pray a thing about their circumstances. He doesn't seem to pray that. And it's really striking because we know that in many of his letters, like to the Philippians or to the Colossians, they're going through really difficult times. Many of them, they're, they're in real dangers. They're losing their homes. They're, they're dying from diseases. They're suffering oppression from tyrants. And, and yet none of these prayers do we see Paul really praying, oh, I hope you, you get a nicer emperor, or, or praying for protection over marauding armies or or for food and shelter. Paul doesn't seem to pray that. You just don't see that in the in, in the New Testament in Paul's prayers. Now maybe you're sat here and you're going, but hang on a moment, Jack, aren't we aren't we supposed to pray for those kind of things? And the answer is of course we are. I mean we're told elsewhere in the Bible to pray for the sick, to pray for the oppressed, to pray for the hungry and poor. In last week um, Rich spoke about the Lord's Prayer and in that it's got pray for your daily bread, so for yourself, and you also pray your kingdom come, and the heart of that is praying for other people as well. But the striking thing is that when Paul is persistently praying for his people, he prays that they get the most important thing. That they get what they need most of all above everything else. Paul ignores the circumstances and he prays that God's people would know who God is and what he has done for them. That's what Paul prays. Verse 17 says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So that you may know him better. That's what Paul prays. That's the primary thing he wants for those he loves. Paul wants people to know God better. It's like he's saying, I want you to be healthy. I want you to to be happy and joyful and to do well. I want you to be able to pay your bills. If you're married, I want your marriage to be long and happy. If If you've got kids, I want your kids to do well at school and to grow up and be healthy and well and be great people. But the most important thing is I want you to know God more. If we miss that, then we've missed the point of Paul's prayer. It's why in the grand scheme, if you were to read through Ephesians and what it's all about, he starts the book with a huge declaration of who God is and what he has done. In verses 3, right the way through to 14. And then later in the book come the issues of marriage, friendship, family and work. All of these things in Paul's mind are built on the understanding of who God is. And that's the most important thing that we can pray for others about. Is that we would know who God is. And that's not just a facts or figures or knowledge about God. But it's a relational friendship. A connection with him. There's a great book by a guy called Mark Driscoll called Who Do You Think You Are? And in it he says this. He says it's not about information but transformation By living a relationship with the one true God. It's not about information but transformation from living a relationship with the one true God. So when we're praying for each other, let's pray that we would know him better. That we would have a revelation 
of this connection that we have if we are in Christ with God the Father. No matter how bad this... That's why Paul ignores the circumstances. Because he knows this is the most important thing. Because if you have this connection with God, if you have this relationship with him, then no matter how bad the circumstances are around you, you will still get through them in a way which will lead you to true joy, true satisfaction in God himself through Jesus. And if you go through life without that connection and you have great circumstances then actually you'll, get, you'll process them in a way which will make you shallow and weak. And by that, I mean that you will, if, you, if you go through life and all you have is good circumstances, everything's going right, but you don't have him, then you'll become proud and dependent on those good circumstances. And should they all dissolve away and everything fall apart, you'll be in utter despair. Or even if you get through and you're going and you're having all of these things happen and you may have all the good circumstances but you don't have him and yet you still don't quite feel satisfied. You still haven't quite got what you need. There's still something more. You're always looking for the next thing. It's because you haven't got the most important thing. You haven't got your greatest need. God himself through Jesus Christ. So Paul doesn't pray for circumstances, but instead he prays for the greatest need that we would have a connection with God where we would know him better because it is out of that that we encounter true joy and satisfaction in God alone. Psalm 16 verse 11 says that it is in your presence, meaning God, that there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's the point that we know God. That's why we exist. And imagine what it would be like if we were a church full of people following Jesus, that when someone comes to you and says, hey, I'd like to pray for you, what would you like me to pray for? That we wouldn't necessarily just reel off everything that's going on in our lives. Our work's really hard, my family's struggling, my marriage is difficult. That we wouldn't just reel off those things, but that we would say something like, pray that I would know God better. Pray that I would... I would encounter him because I know that in the busyness of life and everything that's going on around me, I can easily get distracted from the most important thing, which is God himself. Pray that I would encounter God and know him better because out of that I will be able to work and, and get through these situations which are going on in my life. Pray that I would know him Pray that I would know the difference that his son's sacrifice on the cross and resurrection from the grave makes to me in the situations of my life. It's so important that we know God and we know him better because if we miss this, then we are missing the purpose that we exist for. And Rich spoke a lot more about this very thing back in the very first week of Stronger in Prayer so if you, if you want to know more, go back onto the website and you can download the very first one, Stronger in Prayer. Rich talked very much about this. But Paul also prays that we would have the spirit of wisdom. That we would have wisdom. And wisdom in the Bible, this is a practical outworking of knowing who God is. Wisdom in the Bible is always tied down to everyday life. Uh, there's... 
loads of books in the Old Testament specifically, which are known as wisdom books. Things like Ecclesiastes is a book in the Old Testament, which is a, a book of wisdom where it looks at everyday life and it looks at its meaning and how meaningless it is if we go after everything else but we don't go chase after God. And it boils it right down to the practical everyday life. Job is a book of wisdom in the Old Testament, which is, which is a, a wisdom book about suffering and how knowing God practically makes a difference in those situations. Proverbs is a, is a book which covers a whole range of topics of everyday life, but where it talks about wisdom springs from the knowledge of knowing who God is, from knowing the fear of the Lord. And everywhere in the Bible where it talks about wisdom, it grounds it in everyday practical life. So Paul's praying that we'd know God and we'd know the difference that that makes in our everyday lives. So if you know God, how does that affect your money? If you know God, how does that affect your time? How does it affect your friendships? How does it change the way you work because you know God? If you know God, how does it change your life in the day-to-day? Knowing God should change every aspect of your life. And if it doesn't, then all we're doing is we're turning up to a religious show for two hours a week on a Sunday morning and maybe going to small group as well and we're getting on with the rest of our lives. The point that Paul prays here and the point that God wants for us is that we would know him, that we would have a relationship with him so that God would be involved with us in everything we do in our day-to-day lives. That's the kind of God we have. So I want to look at our last question this morning, our fourth question, which is, who do we pray to? Who do we pray to? And Paul gives us the answer in verse 17, where he says, we pray to the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus also puts it in, in the Lord's Prayer, which we looked at last week, which Rich spoke about, which is, we pray to our Father in heaven. It's a relational conversation with our Father in heaven. And the only reason we get to speak to God as our Father is because of the work of Jesus Christ. Our sin separated us from God. And so Jesus came down as God himself in human flesh to live the life we couldn't live, to die a death, to take away the penalty for sin. And he rose from the dead so that we could now come to know God the Father through him and we do that by the power of the Holy Spirit the Spirit convicts us of sin and points us to Jesus so that we can know the Father and Romans talks about how the Spirit dwells in us and causes us to cry in our spirits Abba Father with the Holy Spirit but loads of people don't seem to see prayer kind of as this relational uh, conversation with God. Instead, they kind of see it how uh, maybe the, the, the Ephesian people, uh, before they were Christians and before they came to, there's a, in Ephesus, there's this kind of real spiritual uh, culture that they would have had. I mean, they had kind of back then, they had like 50 plus gods that you could pray to, loads of different temples that you could go to and all different kinds of things. And the idea was that you would go to the temples and you would pray and you would try and influence the gods in the spiritual world to bend their arms, to twist them, to do what you want on the, uh, on the physical, earthly world. 
Um, and I, uh, I was trying to think of how I could kind of explain this. So I've decided to use kind of a, a rom-com storyline, which is always popular, especially with the ladies and the guys <laughs> kind of have to do it. So everyone knows what a, uh, this kind of storyline. So um, there's a, a, a teenage girl who, uh, let's call her Ethel. Uh, she is uh, fallen madly in love with uh, a teenage guy. Let's call him Keith. Okay, so Ethel has fallen madly in love with Keith, uh, but Keith doesn't want to fall in, he doesn't want to go out with Ethel. He's more in, in, in love with uh, another girl, Eileen. Okay? It's the story of all good rom-coms, yeah? Someone's fallen in love with someone else, but they don't want them, they want someone else, okay? So, so what was the first name I said? Ethel. Okay, so Ethel wants Keith. And so she starts thinking, ah, oh, I really want to date Keith, but Keith's not interested in me. So then she says, I know, I will go to the, the temple of love and I will pray to the God of love and I will, will say the right prayers, I will say the right words, I will do the right things, I will turn up, I will do what I'm supposed to do to try and bend the arm of the God of love to try and force the love of my life, Keith, to stop him from going for Eileen and instead he will fall in love with me, Ethel. Right? So, so, so Ethel goes to the temple and she tries and she prays and she does all of the things that she's supposed to do to try and twist the arm of this God who doesn't really want to do anything to make Keith fall in love with her. And, but he, she goes and she twists her arm. And I like to call this vending machine prayer because many Christians kind of do the same thing. The vending machine prayer is where we have this concept that God is like a giant vending machine in the sky and that we have to go along and we have to shut our eyes and we have to pray our coin prayer slots and we have to do enough of them to put them in until we get the right total to punch in the numbers and get a Snickers out. We have to do the right amount of prayers to get that can of Coke that we've been wanting. But that's not the way it works. You don't get a Snickers bar from God. You don't get um, Keith to fall in love with Ethel because... Um, because you're twisting the arm of God because you're saying the right things, you're doing the right actions. God the Father graciously likes to listen to his children pray. He likes to give good gifts. He enjoys answering prayers. He likes to encounter his people. But some of us seem to think that we can't. Prayer is like almost like manipulating God, making him do what we want to do, twisting his arm to do what, he wants, what we want on this earth. And when you get the answer you don't want from God, you, you start to think, okay, I didn't get the answer. He hasn't answered my prayer yet. Um, I know. I'll go to church this week and I'll even go to small group on Thursday. I'll do that. Or you go, okay, he still hasn't answered my prayer. I know. Now I'll start fasting. Or you go, okay, I haven't. Re- uh, uh, he still hasn't answered my prayer. Now I'll read my Bible. He'll have to do it now. God hasn't answered my prayers. I will do anything. I will even pretend I like Jack's sermon. And, and you kind of, all of the above are good things to do, but you don't do them to twist and manipulate and try and force God into doing what he doesn't want to do, what you want him to do, thinking he doesn't want to do it. We kind of see it and we go, God, do, do whatever you want, whatever painful torture I need to go through, however many more times I need to pray before you turn up and you answer and you, you move in power. 
But when God answers prayer and he moves in in power, it's not because we've manipulated him or we've put enough prayer coins into the vending machine slot so that he gives us what we want. But it's because in Jesus, there is all the power that prayer needs. And that's where Paul goes in verse 19. Where he says, and in his, that's Jesus, comparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. There's no power in prayer for those who don't believe in Jesus. It isn't that there's, there isn't any power in prayer for those who don't follow Jesus Christ with their life. It, here is where uh, the power comes from. It's like, it's like a light. You don't, the light doesn't work unless you plug it into the mains. Prayer doesn't work unless, unless you're, you're in relationship and you know Jesus. We need to be plugged into Jesus for prayer to have a point. That's why there's this, there's this strange story in kind of Acts chapter 19. Uh, it's a bit weird, but there's some guys going out and they're, um, they're not really following Jesus, but they're, they're praying and they're trying to heal people and they're trying to cast out uh, demons that are oppressing people and they kind of go up to these guys and they go to pray for them and they kind of go Jesus and the demon kind of comes out and goes what on earth is going on here beats them silly strips them naked and forces them to run down the road and you kind of go what's that about that's kind of a weird story and and it's it's kind of why does that happen well it's because the name it's, the name of Jesus isn't to kind of be used as a label to kind of put power into prayer and authority. That authority and power only comes when you are in relationship with Jesus and you know him personally, you're connected with him. It's not just using the name of Jesus as a magic prayer coin to pop into the vending machine. So here Paul says that there's power in prayer when you're praying to the Father for those who believe and trust in Jesus Christ with their whole life. And so the power, it's in Jesus. It's not in our prayers. And Paul goes on. And he says, That power is like the working of his mighty strength with which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present age but also in the age to come the power he says is in Jesus and that power is most clearly demonstrated at his resurrection the most important historical event that has happened is that Jesus is no longer in the grave that he is risen to life that he's conquered Satan sin and death and God's power was demonstrated in the resurrection of Jesus. And what Paul's saying is that for those who believe and are in relationship with Jesus Christ, that same power which raised Jesus from the grave is available to those who are children of God. If you are in Christ, to use the same language that Paul has, if you're in Christ, then you're connected to a loving relationship with Jesus you receive power. And he is all we need. Jesus is all we need. He's the name who's above every other name. He has ascended to the highest heavens. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He is in all authority. He has all power over everything, both earthly and spiritual. It's all under Jesus. 
So we don't need to be powerful people trying to twist the arms of God to do what we want because it's been accomplished through Jesus for, all, for this purpose, we see in verse 22. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. For what? For who? For the church. For the church. So we don't need to be powerful people manipulating God with our prayers. Because we have a loving father who loves and cares for his people. And we've seen that in the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. That his authority, his power is made available to all those who believe. And Paul says that it's given to the church. And in verse 23, which is the body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The church is the body of Jesus. We're connected intimately with him. And it's God's presence. As, as God's presence in like the Old Testament, there's a picture here, the, there's the temple in the, Old, in the Old Testament where God's presence and his uh, uh, power would fill the temple. But now his power and his presence fills the church, God's people. All we need is Jesus. And if you have Jesus, you're connected to God the Father. That you have God the Holy Spirit dwelling in and amongst us. It is Jesus who sends the Spirit and it's Jesus who connects us to the Father. So when we pray to the Father, it's through Jesus who is above all and over all. And he loves us and he wants us to know him more. So when we pray for each other, we pray to the Father through, of our Lord Jesus Christ that we receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would know him better because that's what we all need. Amen? Amen. I'd just like to ask the band to come back up. And what we're going to do is I'm going to pray in a second and then we're, we're going to Stand, rise to our feet if you're able to, and we're going to sing a song declaring about how we want to know God more. We want to encounter him, and we want to meet him. And I'd love it if we could use this time, not, not just singing a song, but actually thinking on the words and actually making it our prayer to God that we want to know him more. We want to encounter him that we're pressing in because we want to know him more. Father, that is our prayer, that we would know you more, that we would encounter you, that we would see you, that we would receive that spirit of wisdom, that that knowing you would affect everything in our lives. We ask that you make yourself known to us even more than we already do. Reveal yourself to us, Father. We want to know you more and in a greater way. In Jesus' name.